nearly 17 minutes past eight, and welcome to our radio salon. Alongside me is Mr. Chong Huang, independent legal researcher with Lawquad LLC. Uh, we're going to start, Mr. Huang, with your topic that you brought in today, looking at some of the issues that maybe were overshadowed by the unexpected developments. And they were, I think, truly unexpected at the border over the weekend. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, we might have hoped, perhaps, that somehow President Trump would have met with Chairman Kim Jong-un. But the way it all played out was really surprising. Right. I mean, un- unless you're uh, living under a rock, basically, you uh, and at least if you're in South Korea, you probably couldn't miss all the coverage and all the uh, kind of uh, commentaries that uh, accompanied the uh, Panmunjom summit between President Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un. And it you know, was a great show, right? So it's interesting that it was almost a bit of an add-on, this visit by President Trump, whilst he was due to be in the region anyway in Japan for the right. G20 mm-hmm. summit. Was, President Moon had gone a few weeks earlier to uh, Washington and he right. said to mm-hmm. him, oh, why don't you come South Korea? And and the details of his South Korea stay were still being worked out right until the last minute. Exactly. And then, then he just decided to throw a curveball by tweeting just 24 hours before the summit that, hey, maybe I can meet with Kim Jong-un too. It's just a few, a few extra miles. And right. I guess everybody just went on an overdrive after that. Incredible. Uh, but, of course, the main event had been the G20 summit in Osaka. And so that's been completely overshadowed. It's actually been overshadowed for some other reasons as well, because Japan has been attracting lots of negative headlines for oh, some absolutely. of its moves yep. post-G20 summit. Um, maybe we can touch on them in a moment. But first, uh, tell us about the summit itself in Japan. Well, it... It caught a lot of attention for two reasons, probably not as much in South Korea, which is why South Korean media was completely, uh, you know, overtaken with the Panmunjom summit. But it did have a, you know, communication about emphasis on fair trade, especially with regard to the trade war that's going on between U.S. and China. And U.S. and China actually sat down and talked, uh, talked, and apparently it's possible that we are going to see a detente in the, the trade war. At least President Trump said that there will be no immediate increases to additional tra- tariffs, so that which is a uh, uh, good news. Another news is that everybody in the G20 summit, so which means the 19 countries, decided to recommit to the Paris Climate Accord. Of course, the United States having in the process of withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, it was, you know, kind of very conspicuous absence in that uh, statement. So these are the kind of uh, big news items that kind of touches the entire world, but has kind of been, you know, omitted and well, kind of somewhat overlooked in South Korean media, but because of just you know the whole pageant that was the Panmunjom summit. Now, we're going to be welcoming your counterpart, your regular Radio Salon counterpart, Professor Choi Young, into the studio um, in a few moments. But first, let's also connect on the line with Andrew Chung, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, who actually covers North Korea, but was also featuring in our radio salon last week. Uh, he can't keep away. He's on the line this time. Good morning to you, Andrew. Morning. So, Andrew, speaking of overshadowing is there a danger that that president moon himself was also overshadowed with what happened this past weekend uh, after all uh, just hours before that panmunjom meeting he was having his own summit with with president trump but um i i, I guess as a caveat here president moon himself would have been quite happy to have not been in the main event well 
I guess if you define overshadowed by the presence and the importance and the political significance of, uh, of President Moon uh, during the, uh, the DMZ gathering last weekend, um, I think he was uh, indeed overshadowed by President Trump and Kim Jong-un and all the visuals that they created. And, of course, their uh, bilateral 50-minute uh, meeting uh, inside uh, Freedom House in, on the South Korean side of the border. So, so in that sense, I think President Moon was indeed sidelined. And uh, uh, even though, of course, the Blue House is saying that they were briefed by the American side on what, what went on and uh, their constant communication with, uh, with both sides, but... Um, uh, if you define overshadowed in a different light, uh, was he uh, was he unimportant? Was he not really involved in anything? Um, I guess he was uh, he was less involved than uh, perhaps North Korean leader Kim Jong Un and uh, President Trump. But um, I, he was involved in the sense that you know his country was uh, the de facto host the uh, the DMZ gathering, and um, it's really unclear how much of a role South Korea played in arranging this whole thing, even though uh, right now it seems to have been really the Trump tweet on Saturday morning in Japan that really launched this whole thing. And uh, if, you, if you look at the series of events and what's been coming out and the preparations leading up to the summit, it um, seems to be that uh, President Trump's tweet really drove it. But, of course, you know, it's really unclear you know, how much South Korea has been involved in uh, helping uh, President Trump uh, get this done and, uh, you know, I guess, part participate uh, in this whole thing. So mm. uh, in that sense, uh, it's, it's a little bit unclear, and it's really debatable about it, you know, how much overshadowed uh, President Moon was. Well, here in the studio in a moment, we can discuss a little bit further uh, the role of President Moon. Obviously, if he hadn't asked President Trump to come here in the first place, then that tweet wouldn't have uh, meant anything. So um, we can at least give him credit for the invitation and for creating the the framework for the events that unfolded. But Andrew, did, was there a sense that your own work was overshadowed? Because I know you wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal after President Trump met earlier in the day with business leaders from South Korea. And that, that was potentially a very significant meeting. And it no doubt will continue to have significance in the business world. But, but all of that was um, very much overshadowed again to use that word by what happened later in the day at the border well uh i must admit the uh the whole uh, show or you know the theatrics and the meeting itself at the dmz was was the main event and was by far um the most watched and the most talked about event uh during the weekend and um unfortunately that had to i guess sideline huawei and and, and the reason that i guess uh that is reinforced is because president trump didn't even speak of that word while he was uh, in the room, as far as we can tell, uh, according to the people that were in the room. Uh, of course, President Trump will be the person to uh, to really know whether or not he mentioned Huawei off-camera or on the sidelines during his conversations there. But um, uh, my understanding that is that he did not. And I guess that came as a big relief to, to a lot of people in the room, because um, in the lead-up to the summit, a lot of people, not only in the business community, but uh, in government as well, both in uh, on all sides, were, um, I guess, expecting uh, the president to, to probably bring up uh, the Chinese company. But uh, the G20 meeting uh, where he met uh, President Xi Jinping on the Chinese side, I guess that, uh, you know, calmed some of those fears of the, the day before President Trump came over. Uh, and once he did, he really didn't, uh, he did refrain from uh, bringing Huawei up to the forefront. And I guess... That did indeed uh, come as a relief to many uh, in the business community here, but 
Um, I think everyone is at the same time aware that the U.S.-China trade war is just going through a phase in which a more peaceful phase uh, than it was in the past few weeks, and it's it's really possible that it could go really back to this um, more uh, uncertain and more uh, volatile uh, stage uh, in the trade war. So uh, everyone's happy that that nothing was pushed and pressured on uh, in terms of Huawei, but everyone is also aware that you know this is not over. Andrew Jung of the Wall Street Journal, thanks again for making a special appearance in our radio salon. Thank you. Let's also welcome, as I promised, Professor Choi Kyung from Hong University Law here in the studio. Good morning. Good morning. And um, just for anyone who's just joining us, we've got Mr. Zhang Huang as well, Independent Legal Research with Law Quiet LLC. Good morning again. And you're the one who brought this topic to us today, this question of topics or issues that were somewhat overshadowed by that Trump-Kim meeting at the border. But Professor Chor, we've got to get your initial thoughts on basically the nature of what happened over the weekend, the way that it sucked up all other issues. And perhaps you can also reflect on the role of President Moon, uh, whether that was a problem, whether it was more about Moon passing or more Moon diplomacy to kind of just let things it's sort of like you've acted as a broker, and then isn't it natural to step away? I think that's actually right. Um, you know, it's two egos meet over over a tweet, really. Um, and I think the way that President Moon is holding himself back, deliberately sort of putting himself um, to the side, was quite intentional on his part. And he, regardless of, you know, what everybody else says, um, he is quite happy to do that as long as you know, the substance gets done, which is to progress uh, the the talks between North Korea and USA in order to achieve the ultimate goal, which is peace on Korean Peninsula. And so, you know, um, he will probably be thinking, well, let them just say what they want. Um, I know what I am doing here, and I know my own goal. And we have uh, certainly achieved that part on this, uh, on this uh, weekend. Yeah, Zhang Huang, President Moon seems to be playing quite a clever role here in terms of planting uh, words and planting scenarios that, I guess, from his point of view, take us beyond the point of no return. Uh, He's already said, for example, after this meeting, that this was effectively uh, an end to hostilities between the US and North Korea, even if we didn't get an end of war declaration. Right. I mean, he's been stroking, especially President Trump's ego quite, you know, extensively. You know, he has been crediting President Trump for bringing peace on the Korean Peninsula uh, and so forth, at least in public comments. I do not know how, how much of that is, you know, really President Moon's, you know, inner thoughts, but at least, you know, he's been effectively, you know, kind of to lack of better words, kind of stroking President Ego's, uh, President Trump's ego in order to move the process along. On the other hand, he's been actually on the receiving end of some pointed criticisms of various North Korean media. So it's not really clear, you know, how effectively he can move things forward. Well, we're going to revisit some of the topics that were also completely overshadowed, not just uh, President Moon's role in, in handling Kim and Trump, but also, for example, on bilateral relations with the US, those business dealings we talked about before. Perhaps also we we can address what Japan's been doing in the wake of the G20 summit, not just affecting South Korea, but also on the whaling front. This morning continues next.
Yeah, good morning to you. It's 8.30. You're listening to TBS EFM this morning and our radio salon. In a few moments, we're going to switch up our focus to talk about the alleged over-sexualization of an 11-year-old girl in a Baskin-Robbins advert. Now, you might have seen that ad. Um, if you haven't, we'll describe it for you, but we'd love to get you involved in any of these topics. Pound 1013 for 51 per message. We're going to continue for a few moments, though, with this overshadowing of some important matters by the Panmunjom Summit. Uh, Zhong Huang, Professor Choi Kyung, good morning, both of you once again. Good morning. And, and Zhong Huang, again, you brought in this topic on the Panmunjom Summit and its impact in terms of passing over some other matters. It's just indicative, I think we have to say, of how important it was that that happened. Uh, we're not necessarily complaining that we weren't talking more about the G20 summit. But the G20 summit itself, um, if we hadn't had this Panmunjom summit, I think we would have been reflecting on with, with some disappointment on the, on the absence of achievements, not really... Um, upholding the spirit of it in the immediate aftermath, for example, some of Japan's actions. Yeah, I mean, after us, uh, the G20 summit that emphasized fair trade in a global scale, immediately uh, afterwards, Japan has decided to impose, you know, uh, you know, uh, trade restrictions against South Korea for, you know, for now, some key uh, semiconductor parts, but who knows where this will lead. They've actually announced to um, widen the restrictions and take Korea off the the white list, or so-called white list, uh, where uh, oh, the list of countries that get preferential treatment in terms of you know um, international trade. Yeah. So actually, it's not on the level of what the U.S. and China have been doing against one another, but but. Um, considering the the justification for it, it's all the more disappointing. So not getting preferential treatment, again, that might not sound like the worst possible trade punishment, but to do that uh, allegedly over court rulings concerning wartime slave labour, which Japan should be having a very different attitude towards, is all the more disappointing. Actually, you know... um the restrictions they're going to impose is going to have very significant impact on Korean industry uh, because they've really kind of um, focused with laser-like precision the key industry where, uh, you know, the semiconductor industry where they really need critical components from Japan uh, because we haven't quite got the technology. Right. No, and I understand that. And it will have a profound impact. What I mean is just not offering preferential treatment is... uh is perhaps something that you would legitimately reserve for a country that you don't have particularly good ties with. However, to but do But you're that, right. I mean, Japan's being completely petty. I mean, I when you consider the justification... Yes, any action. I mean, there is no justification, really. That They're trying to say, well, this is completely legit under the trade, the international trade rules, but it's completely not legitimate. Zhang Huang, any thoughts from you on that? Well, um... I mean, it's a difficult part, right? In the sense that, you know, Korea feels completely justified in over the wartime slave labor court rulings. On the other hand, Japan feels completely uh, aggrieved. And does that mean that we we appeal to some kind of third party uh, mediation or arbitration in this issue? Or we just go on in a parallel way? I mean, it's not it's not really proportional. I mean, if Japan feels it was somehow wronged in the 20th century by Korea, then then let Japan reach its own court rulings. But I think it might find it hard to come up with a strong case against South Korea for any wrongs that were committed whilst Japan was colonising this peninsula. Well, this is really sort of pick and choosing uh, your own 
uh, trade rules. Basically, you sort of, you know, call upon the WTO rules when it suits you, but then basically throw them out out of the window when it doesn't. And so that's where I think Japan is really at fault. Yeah. And and again, I mean, maybe Japan could say, and obviously it wouldn't gain any support here for this, but maybe Japan could say that South Korea is uh, illegally occupying the... uh, the islets we call doctor or something along those lines that that kind of thing might be connected somehow but this uh affecting the smartphone industry as you said uh professor Chaw, seems to be very much laser targeted to bring about uh some sort of response but they must know south korea well enough to know that no amount of economic retaliation is going to uh force a government here to back down an issue like slave labor it's just political suicide at least not this current government yeah, yeah, that's true. The the last government obviously did come with some sort of agreement, which was yes. heavily lambasted um, since then on, on the issue of um, sexual slavery. Uh, just remarkable that we've been talking about these issues, just throwing them around because they are just among several potential um, issues that were overshadowed. Um, Zhang Huang, let's quickly talk a little bit further about the US-South Korea relationship. Uh, there was actually the possibility that the US-South Korea relationship would have overshadowed discussions about North Korea had President Trump not gone to the border because there were potential thorny issues there, like uh, paying for uh, the The US US military presence and other trade issues, for example. I mean, President Trump likes to raise the big trade deficit the US has with respect to South Korea, and he actually likes to, you know, kind of bring it up during his campaign rallies. Also, the expansion sharing for U.S. forces is a big issue. I mean, already the, the last time we agreed to it, Ed, it, it just was supposed to uh, uh, last until the last agreement is supposed to uh, end at the end of this year. So, you know, the next negotiation is just around the corner. But evidently that just those issues never came up during this issue and i think it just kind of went away as kind of a nice optics to kind of emphasize the good uh, good standing that us and south korea alliance uh, sits at the, at the current moment and i guess for that the moon administration can you know sigh of, uh, sigh of relief thank you once again good to uh, have you in the studio introducing that topic but stay with us jung huang so we can continue the discussion with Professor Choi Kyung's subject for today. Do, do you want to start by introducing it for us? Oh, sure. I mean, you've already mentioned um, the gist of it, which is centered around this uh, commercial made by the ice cream uh, maker, Baskin and Robbins, and it features a an 11-year-old girl. Her name is Ella Gross, and she has a an American father and a Korean mother who lives in California. The fact that I have to know all these things really impresses me. Mm. Anyway, um, so the I think they were promoting a new flavor of ice cream that Baskin and Robbins has brought out for this summer, um, and you know she's wearing this like white, not pink, frilly dress, uh, eating ice cream, uh, prettily made up. But when you look at the ad, it uses the classic. Um, advertising technique sort of using a female sexuality to basically market their product kind of you know very uh, big close-ups on the pink mouth enclosing around some sort of food in this case ice cream Um, yes pink is certainly the theme and i'm looking at the screenshots right now Mm. you've got that iconic baskin robbins pink spoon going into 
uh, a mouth, an 11-year-old mouth, which uh, is framed by pink lipstick. Mm. And it looks a lot worse as a still. The only disclaimer I will offer is that, because when you watch it uh, in fast movement, you don't necessarily focus on it in quite the same way as when you're looking at the still photograph. I still feel it's inappropriate. But the overall impression by the commercial itself was also really inappropriate. And and it wasn't just one time that they showed a close-up of the mouth. It was at least a couple of times in the commercial as well. And just, just the general kind of tone that it set was very much, you know, Uh, sexualizing this little girl to sell a product. Yeah, at the very least, at the very least, even if she's not being directly sexualized, she's being put in a kind of position of, say, at the very least, an 18, 19, 20-year-old girl, the way she's moving, the way she's dressed, mm. the way they're, as you said, focusing on Completely certain details. Completely not childlike. Not childlike. <laughs> Now, Jung Hwang, um, What's your immediate response to this? Do you think it's much ado about nothing? Is it just a sign of the times? The K-pop industry has sometimes younger girls, especially when they're coming up in the industry, they might be underage in very, very sexualized outfits and performing dance moves that are frankly, you know, not out of place in a strip club. I mean... Comparisons to various uh, K-pop girl groups, I think, kind of puts various issues in in highlight in the sense that is a problem that this this involved an 11 year old girl versus K-pop idols who might be starting out at 15, 16, 17 year, of years. I mean, clearly in terms of sexualizing, you know, uh, images, you know, K-pop idols go far, far down uh, down the road. I think as a comparison, so do, do we condemn this on on the on the On the other hand, while not uh, not re- turning the other eyes to you know sexualizing fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds, um, I mean, I guess you know just looking at the the whole whole ad for about thirty seconds quickly, I suppose just having been bombarded with other sexualized images, it just didn't look as bad as I, I guess I might speak to my dull senses, I suppose, but didn't look as bad as other uh, many images that you know the regular the, the TV programs bombard us I, with. I guess, it, yeah, sorry. First no, no, I mean, in fact, that's really the point that I wanted to bring out because I was certainly shocked by the ad that you know, they, would, they would still be making that kind of ad in, in this time, you know, Like it is now 2019, yeah. um, but I was actually more shocked by some of the the um, online comments that people made uh, with regard to that ad because, as uh, Mr. Huang just said, some of them were simply saying, "Well, you know, uh, maybe I'm desensitized to it, but what's the problem here?" And I was really surprised that people wouldn't sort of understand why this would be a problem. And I think that might be, um, I think that might be why, uh, you know, perhaps because we are inured to these kind of images of young girls portrayed in a sexual manner through um, K-pop idol groups and and so forth that we don't really think twice about it. But. Um, We used to see this a lot more. I mean, you know, it was the the Hollywood um, industry that kind of started it using prepubescent girls in mm. entertainment industry. And we have lots of famous, like, you know, instances and actresses who are kind of portrayed in, in a very sexualized manner. Yeah, and especially talent age. shows, I think. When you, 
often they're not televised, but when they are occasionally televised, you see a documentary about the talent show industry, it's kind of beyond shocking mm. the way that you've got very young girls basically acting uh, and, and, and dressed like uh, adult women. And I've seen it with talent shows here in elementary schools. When my kids have been at elementary school, I've gone along to some of these shows and I've seen girls like doing uh, as part of that some sort of K-pop routine. Mm. And I'm thinking these dance moves are not appropriate at all. And I, and I see their mothers laughing, cheering, taking photos and videos, looking extremely proud, presumably because they've seen their daughter um, training hard for it and they're, they're looking good on stage. But it feels to me like, is, is everyone missing the point that, that this is not really appropriate for a nine, ten-year-old girl to be moving like this? There's no way of dressing this move up as a dance move in an innocent sense. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is precisely the problem. And unless we, I mean, but we can't really sort of, you know, outlaw <laughs> those kind of dance moves, right? But we can certainly no. sort of have some better guidelines about how uh, young children should be, um, you know, uh, portrayed in commercials because it really does send the entirely wrong message. I don't know whether I'm more sensitive about this because I have two daughters, <laughs> but if I saw my daughter's lips on a close-up in, in this advert mm. uh, highlighted in this way, I, I'm pretty sure I'd be upset. Um, 4106 texted in saying, I watched the video a few times and I didn't really understand what the whole controversy is about and that they had to take down the ad. You know, I can also understand how if you viewed the advert in isolation, it's it's easy to actually defend the video and say, well, it was just focusing on eating the ice cream. And, you know, I, d I don't think it's necessarily so clear cut that uh, Baskin Robbins should be the one that's demonized here. I think you, we're, we're right to, to say what you've been saying, Professor Cho and Jong Huang, that this is much more of a societal issue. Um, what about the other case recently that we saw? I, I know that you wanted to talk about this, Professor Cho, and for, for people who have a problem, i.e. who are attracted to underage girls or boys for that matter, there is potential that sexualization of children in the media will awaken certain unwanted feelings, presumably unwanted. Uh, there was a recent case of a 10-year-old girl who was actually raped by a 35-year-old man and it was kind of beyond shocking to me that his sentence was reduced from eight years to three years on appeal on the basis that possibly this girl had given consent. Or, or possibly that she didn't indicate her non-consent hard enough, you know. Um, Unbelievable. So she was a 10-year-old, as you said. Um, they, they had kind of met online, uh, you know, sort of they got chatting and she had ran, run away from home. And this man who was like a, a, a tutor for like helping children sort of with their studies, uh, he fed her two glasses of soju, right, to a 10-year-old. I mean, you can imagine what that would do to a, a small girl of 10. And then uh, he held her down, put pinned her hands behind her back and basically had sex with her. And she kept saying, well, it hurts, right? Um, but It's infuriating. <laughs> yeah. It's beyond infuriating. Honestly, I, it's hard to listen to these details. So, um, so for me, that is mm. a clear case of rape, you know, non-consensual sex. And But even if, like, you know, that is awful, okay? Any age woman, that's awful. Mm. But the fact we're talking about a 10-year-old, even if she was... 
telling him to carry on. That's uh, an offence that deserves, a, in my opinion, statutory double rape, figure right? yes. imprisonment. Yes, at least. exactly. Because I mean, we have one of the lowest age of consent in in this country. Um, meaning, you know, um, under that age, you even if the child consented, it would become automatically become rape. But it is actually 13, whereas in most other countries, it's at least 15 or 16. Um, I just don't really understand how you can kind of expect a 13-year-old, uh, one that's actually sort of raised in a as protective environment as Korea is um, of towards children, right? Particularly in those kind of context. And so, um, you know, you are not um, statutorily Respond, sort of liable uh, unless the, the child is 13. Um, and it used to be only up to five years of jail sentence if you, you know, had committed statutory rape. And now it has been sort of amended, the punishment. So it's gone up to minimum 10 years. And he actually received, also not, not minimum 10, but he actually received eight years uh, at trial. But then the appeal judge basically decided, well, it wasn't so clear cut that the co- girl didn't consent to the act. Mm. And so reduced it to three. I mean, I'm just thinking, what in the which planet is this this judge living on? Um, yeah, I agree. I, I I don't know how. I mean, we can say what we like about the nature of imprisonment um, and whether it addresses the, the the issue of of sexual crimes. I, I think imprisonment is appropriate to so, sorry is absolutely is appropriate to protect potential victims but on the other hand i think we have to go further i mean in some countries locking somewhere away well in some countries you know statutory rape or rape of minor is a capital offense so yeah you actually well get I, 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 I'm, yeah I, i'm not i'm um, not pushing for that obviously, i'm not but. saying that but I, I think that the sexual urge has to be addressed somewhere along the line there if, if someone's a risk to to minors especially but um we got a message here, 7764. Maybe it's how you perceive things. What exactly do you mean when you say not appropriate? And obviously this message refers to what we were discussing before about the, the commercial. Because the, the mm-hmm. I, I, I think we can all agree that the, uh, the crime was inappropriate that we were just talking about. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been working in the media long enough, I think, to uh, judge what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and to get a sense of uh, sexualization of an image. In a way, I wish my mind was innocent enough to be able to say, "Oh, well, I just perceived that as a young girl um, moving in a in a playful way." But um, I feel but- like I've got to protect my kids from people. Who- who, who clearly would see things differently. But we know that that's not the case. I mean, you know, there is a saying that the, the more you know, the more you see. And here, it's not just that the the makers of the commercial just thought, oh, we'll just put this girl in a pink dress and then, you know, make a close-up of her, her mouth as she licks the spoon. That's certainly not the case. You know, they yeah. it's very deliberate, uh, targeted, intended, calculated and planned. And they know exactly what kind of images they want to produce or for what kind of effect. And they are very much sexualizing this little girl in this ad. Zhang, Zhang Huang, um, 7764's message and I'm not picking on 7764, by the way, but it, it is being used as a kind of counter-argument a lot in the social media commentary on this issue. It's this implication that, well, if you see something sexual in this, it means that somehow that's more about what you're seeing than what's actually there. I'm sorry, this isn't impressionist art. This is, for me, blatant. Now, I know you said before, Zhang Huang, that you didn't see such a big deal in this particular advert. But 
wouldn't you concede that i mean we can't possibly say that everybody who's uh witnessing some sexualization here is somehow uh perverted perverted <laughs> thank you for the word <laughs> professor cho i don't you know whatever people might no, think about me i, I mean, can say 100 professor cho is not in that category <laughs> Jong Hwang, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you don't need to be perverted to be reminded of that. I mean, it's precisely, I think, these images kind of take after other images that's prevalent in the pop art, such as, you know, K-pop idols, that, you know, comparatively, this is probably less sexual than many other images that's readily available. So... We condemn this image because the model was only 11 years old. So where do we uh, sort of draw the line? Is it okay that you know Britney Spears, when she was you know 16, 17, 18, dressed up in a you know, schoolgirl clothes and you know kind of you know flaunting her sexuality in a far more you know explicit manner, should that be more condemned than this Baskin Robbins ad? Once you sort of go into you know one-on-one uh, uh, comparisons, I think it, you sort of do get into the problem of line drawing. Uh, Yeah, I think those are excellent points as well. But Professor Cho, is there a distinction to be made here that this is a corporate uh, entity that's uh, potentially exploiting someone in a commercial rather than Britney Spears as as an artist, um, which I'm not defending either, but it is a different situation. I I think, you know, the question of where to draw the line, I think it has to be at least that the model who is being portrayed in that way knows what's happening to her, that, that she should actually be able to make her own mind up about how she is being used, not not how she's being used, but, but, but at least how she's going to be portrayed in that commercial. I mean, this is where I think the, the question of the age of consent is really important, or at least where we actually draw the, um, the line as to when can we expect people uh, people to be mature enough to make decisions for themselves about their own expressing their sexuality and i just don't think 11 year old is that that age to do that i agree i i'm with you on this professor Cho, but at the very least i think jong huang your position the baseline here is summed up by 5780 which says i wasn't as disturbed by the ice cream ad but definitely very concerned about the more fundamental issue of sexual objectification on a bigger scale including the k-pop scene Because, well, after all, look at the crime that we're talking about. Where does someone get the idea to um, have that sort of encounter with a 10-year-old girl as that 35-year-old man who was sentenced that we were referring to before? Um, 3016 has got in touch on the first topic. So let's just close on this. Uh, We were talking about whether there's overshadowing of of important issues as a result of that uh, Trump-Kim meeting at the border last weekend. 3016 says, overshadowed? Then should President Moon have demanded to be also involved in the summit meeting between the North and the US? Isn't he the one that gave the impetus and the room for the meeting? Well, actually, I think, 3016, that you are agreeing with what we were ultimately concluding on that, which is to say that... This was a clever move by President Moon, but but that doesn't mean, of course, that there weren't some important points that were overshadowed from the Moon-Trump summit. Mm, that's true. Yes. Um, we are out of time, but thank you so much, Professor Cho and Jong Huang. Great to have you both with us. Thank you very thank much. You. That's our radio salon.